Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. And my sister, who's uh, continuing to grieve, but I know who has received a boatload of prayerful support. It's good to be with you again this morning. Good morning, Father John. It's great to be here with you and all of our friends who are listening. And as you said, I just want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of my family and my extended family here uh, in X29 for every every text, um, every email, all the prayers, not only for our family, but also the prayers and the masses that are being offered for my mom. I, I often say, you know, the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts exchanged among friends is the gift of prayer. And so we've been on the receiving end of that. And I can palpably feel, we can palpably feel the graces from that. So um, just love you all so much. So thanks for thanks for all of that. Yeah. Amen. 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 Please mm-hmm. keep them coming because... Um, I know people are like, yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago though, right? You've moved on. It's like, uh, no, no, really haven't. No, but <laughs> so grief just comes and goes, but I know does. the Lord's been providing a, a, a plethora of graces. And I know that's the result of your own prayer and the prayers of others. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so experiencing um, a lot of joy and gratitude in these days. That's Thanks just be because God. of the gifts of the father, right? Thanks be to God. Yeah. And I think because of the one that we're going to talk about a little bit today, who I know you love <laughs> to talk about. So our topic today is light a match. Light a match. <laughs> Let's pray in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit, gracious father in these extraordinary days of waiting, waiting for the promise waiting for power from on high. We ask through the intercession of Our Lady in a very special way that in your kindness and your graciousness, you would pour out upon the church the gift of your Holy Spirit in a new and mighty way. We ask also through the intercession of St. John Paul II, who led us in praying for a new Pentecost, that that would happen that hearts would be set on fire again, that those that are lukewarm might be kindled anew, that those of us uh, that might be blazing right now would continue to blaze even higher, that the warmth and the light of the gospel and the power of your love would continue to resonate out into the world so that those who are living in the darkness and the coldness that is life apart from your son might be brought into the family of God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's talk about Pentecost, because these are Novena Days, which I don't know how Novena Days work when you celebrate the Ascension on Sunday, but that's <laughs> that's another point. So we'll save that for another time. But, you know, you and I, we and, and all of us in Acts, we, we refer often to the acronym IOT uh, in order to, and talk about how the military uses that uh, as a, something that's really important to make sure that those soldiers who are heading into battle, whatever the battle is or whatever the mission is, they have clarity on the in order to. And from that, we often say that we just don't think that a lot of people have clarity on uh, the mission of Jesus or the mission of the disciple. And maybe we could talk about that today in light of the mission of the Holy Spirit and the Pentecost. So Jesus gives the Holy Spirit in order to what, you know, and, Maybe a, a, a text that we could look at is uh, Ephesians 4, 
12, which I know is something that's near and dear to your heart. And it's something that's increasingly heard by, by priests and by lay faithful over the last number of years. And the, 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 the operative text is where Paul saw, says that God raises up different ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, um, for the work to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, and one of the points just to make right away is that the saints here, we could think of, these are the people in the pews. This is the, the priesthood of the baptized. These are the lay faithful. And oftentimes what happens in the church is priests can think like all the work is theirs or priests and staff people can think all the work is theirs. And the people in the pews can think all the work is theirs. The people in the in the office who are doing the work, when in fact, it's the mission of the pastor and his team to equip the saints, who are the people in the pews, for the work of ministry, which begs the question, what's the ministry that they're supposed to be equipped for? And let me make this point, and then I'd just love to hear your thoughts. I don't think a lot of people have clarity on that. By all means... Part of the ministry is to preach the gospel, to witness to Jesus by our lives, to be able to share with others what he's done in our lives. But it's not just that. And we were just with some priests not too long ago, and we had just reflected on what's more or less chapter nine in the rescue project with him and a few others. And his response afterwards was really remarkable. He just said, I have a whole new understanding of the mission and I have a whole new understanding of how I will vest for mass. Like I will never vest for mass, he said, in the same way because now I'm going to see it almost like I'm putting on battle armor and I'm going out to rouse the troops, the soldiers, to go out into the world and to do the mission which is uniquely theirs. So I'll end with that and uh, just love to kind of get your immediate thoughts and comments as we dive into this extraordinary topic that is the Holy Spirit who changes everything. How much time do we have, Father John? First of all, you just unloaded a lot of really, really uh, rich, rich, rich food there. You know, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and none of us can be out on mission. There is no evangelization without the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so all of us, I mean, by virtue of our baptism and, even, and in addition to the graces that come from our confirmation is we have all manner of gifts, right? God, you know, grace builds on nature. So we've been, we have natural talents, right? Given by God. And then we have supernatural gifts, charisms for church, for the church, for the mission, just not inside our parish walls, but outside the parish walls. And so what we need to understand, or at least what I've come to understand is, I mean, every day, Father John can actually be like this personal Pentecost mm. to fill me again for the task that you have for me today. Mm. Uh, on a practical level, I'm just thinking like, like all day, every day, we're leaking the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. And so, but, but we need the Holy Spirit to go out and, and to do the work. And you were just talking about, you know, how pastors and their teams and staff and missionaries backslash volunteers in a parish context feel like it's all on them. 
And right now it is. Like all the arrows, if you will, are pushing in on them. Like the mission is yours, the mission of yours. And those of us are sitting in the pews want you to do X, Y, and Z for us. In other words, we have a mindset, I think, sometimes in the pews. And I think it's subconscious. Like sometimes I think we don't know what we don't know. Mm. But sometimes those of us sitting in the pews can feel like we're bystanders mm. or, or, or that somehow, you know, we are here to consume. We're consumers. You know, we, we come to mass and by all means, we're fed by the liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, um, the, sac- the richness of the sacramental life that flows from being a part of a parish family, all of that. Absolutely. But very uniquely, God has a mission for each and every one of us sitting in the pews. And most of us are dying to know what are our gifts? What's our ministry profile, as you just talked about in Ephesians 4? Are we apostles? Are we prophets? Are we evangelists? Are we shepherds? And are t- or are we teachers? Right. Would that we would all hunger and desire to know what our, what our ministry profile is so we can go out and to receive that mission that God has entrusted to us. You know, that's the first thought. Not too long ago, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, I came across a great line, uh, Father John, by Peter Kraft, and he, and he was talking about if we're trying to operate in our churches, in our parishes, in our families, in our own unique mission field, absent the power of the Holy Spirit, we're oping, operating out of a, a, a power outage. You know, we're not plugging into the Holy Spirit. If we're not seeing all manner of fruitfulness, what's absent and in and, and these great days that we find ourselves in, we're crying out for the Holy Spirit. Absent the Holy Spirit, nothing will happen in our ministry. And, you know, we see in the Acts of the Apostles, everything changed. Right. Everything changed. And so we need to plug into that power source. You know, some of us are, are sometimes just having brownouts, maybe. Right. Some of us have never plugged into the power source that is the, the Holy Spirit, but we absolutely need the Holy Spirit for the mission of evangelization. So maybe two things, if I can, and then I'm going to push us a little bit more towards a, a, a focal point. So one, we got to make sure I'm plugged into the power grid, which is the Holy Spirit. So I know, like, um, increasingly over the last year or so, I, I start my prayer by just saying something as simple as, Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray right now. Like, I don't know how to pray. Like, don't let this be rote. Don't let this be routine. I have a really wise spiritual director who, you know, I was sharing with him one day, it's just my frustration sometimes when I pray. And he just said, just tell that to God, you know, like, tell me how to pray right now. Teach me how to pray. Like, I don't want this just to be a formality. So we got to stay plugged in. Second, we all need to become mindful of the gifts that we have. That's a big takeaway I just took from what you shared. So like, Holy Spirit, teach me, like, what are my gifts? And there's lots of ways we can do that, but we don't need to get into that right now. But just even in our prayer, like, show me, like, what are my gifts? But maybe most especially right now, you, you know, we, we heard a comment uh, a couple of years ago now. The guy was making a comment about a resistance movement, which is how I understand the church. You know, the... the Lewis's great quote, the, the story of Christianity is the story of how the rightful king is landed in disguise and he calls us all to embark on a great campaign of sabotage. We so love that here, don't oh, we? Yeah. And, and so with, with the weapons of truth and love and goodness and beauty, so don't, don't get hung up on the language of sabotage if you guys are you know, fearful that that means violence. It doesn't mean violence. It means to blow up what's in the hands of the enemy. It means to bend it back, everything that he's defaced and marred and fractured and perverted and bent so that we can do what we can 
in those places where we are, healthcare, politics, entertainment, education, athletics, whatever, bend it back into conformity to how the Father created it to be. So the challenge is I don't think most people know the plan. So this guy with resistance movements was saying you need four things for a resistance movement to succeed. You need charismatic leaders, you need a narrative, you need organization, and you need a plan. And one of the things that we might want to think about right now if we're in parish ministry is, do we have those four things? And which, which one's the weakest, which one's the strongest? But I don't think most people in the pews, and this is what this priest was sharing with us when we were with him not too long ago, I don't think most people in the pews know the plan. I don't think they know what the task is or the mission is other than grow in holiness, grow in virtue, which is really important, um, and try to live with integrity. But how do I like go about my job as an attorney or a physician or a football coach or a, a politician in such a way as to use those gifts, even if it provokes opposition, right? Because if I do this well, I'm probably going to provoke opposition from the enemy who is Satan and his minions, right? So as to, to bring those things back into conformity with God's plan and maybe make, I'll make this comment and then I'll invite you to just to give your thoughts on this. We talk a lot about the new evangelization. So Pope John Paul II called for a new evangelization, not a new um, proclamation of the gospel, but new in what he called would be ardor, method, and expression. And I often have to reflect and just remind people, you know, the old evangelization, it worked. (laughs) You know, Christianity was an illegal superstition for roughly 250 years from basically the time of 64, which is when Nero began the first Roman systematic persecution of Christianity, until Constantine's conversion. For, for that time period, for 250 years, on the Roman laws or on the Roman books was a law that said it is illegal for a Christian to exist. Just ponder that. It's illegal for a Christian to exist. And so, you know, we, we, we often hear things like um, history is written by the winners. Well, that's true oftentimes. It's not true for the case of Christians, at least not the early Christians. They didn't win anything. They won death. <laughs> they won beheadings, crucifixions, burned alive, all sorts of things. And yet the old evangelization worked despite the fact that Christianity was illegal The Roman Empire was one to the gospel, and it wasn't simply one to the gospel because people preached, although that was essential. It was one to the gospel because people went out and they understood that the mission was to transform this world, which God loves. So, for example, in in Roman times, at the time when the Christians first come into existence after Jesus ascends and then sends the Holy Spirit, when people got sick— the wealthy people left a city. It's like, well, the heck with them. Like, you know, let them die. Christians rushed in to care for the sick. Nobody did that before. Christians are largely responsible. Rodney Starks, who's a, um, a, uh, a, histori- a historian and a, a university professor, in one of his books, he says, perhaps, I think this is how he says it, perhaps the single biggest sociological factor for the the growth of Christianity is women. 
which is not exactly a narrative that you hear right now. And what he means by that is because in Roman times, you know, wives were, were not afforded and women were not afforded the dignity, which we now take for granted, uh, even though there's still room for improvement, to be sure, because it's the message of the gospel that says men and women both are created in the image and likeness of God. They're both equal in dignity because they're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, and they're both destined to be divinized. You know, the children weren't um, exposed, as in Roman times, in the church. They were cherished and welcomed, and so it's because of things like this that women flocked to the church because they recognize that here I would be treated with dignity. There's so many examples that we could give. The point is, I've heard people say things like this. Everything around us is going to burn. And the message that that often communicates is, so just let it burn. It doesn't matter. Well, to be sure, we're not supposed to dig in here because everything's going to be remade. But this world matters. God loves this world so much that he sent his son to redeem it And Easter is the beginning of the recreation of this world, which the Lord loves, which one day he will come back and make new. But in the meantime, there's work to do. And that's what the Holy Spirit equips us to do as he sends us out today to do what we can to transform it in the way we work and the conversations we have. uh, And in, you know, what we try to do in that ninth chapter of the Rescue Project are offer some very practical, modern examples of people who changed the world. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So I'm sitting here just taking taking it all in. Of course, everything that you're saying, Father John, is so right on. And I think what often happens, like when people come to an encounter uh, with the Lord, that is that is our mindset. You know, it's kind of like heads down, grow in holiness, really press in, you know, Father, to this, to the, to the, um, to the vertical dimension. Mm. Sometimes we have this inclination to do the Jesus and me two step, yeah. you know, where we're so tuned into the Lord. Absolutely. We need to grow in that deep, deep relationship with Jesus to have that deep intimacy with him. But then he also wants us to have deep intimacy and friendship with the people um, in our lives, and so we have to grow. We have to grow in that as well. And then, to your point, you know, you, you talk about, um, um, you know, or we've heard a friend of ours say that the most compelling, the, the the most urgent task of our time is this compelling and attractive proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, to be sure, we have to be able to know how to articulate that, to preach it, to teach it. But we do that not only by what we say, but how we live our lives. And so as you were reflecting on the early church, it flourished because of the compelling and attractive way that they lived their lives. They just weren't giving voice or lip service to the gospel. They were living in a completely different world. And to be sure, you know, I, I love it in Acts. They talked about how the, how, how the disciples went out and they turned the world upside down. Yeah. The world was already upside down. They just turned it the right side up. So you often talk about, you know, putting on the lenses and seeing, you know, the world, seeing the reality as it's meant to be. That's what they did. They just kind of flipped the world as it was meant to be flipped. And so I often think about, especially those, 
those men and women that you highlight in a particular way so beautifully, Father John, in, in that last episode, episode nine of the Rescue Project, getting clarity on the mission. We've heard from people time and time again, and we say on our own team, the Rescue Project is so rich. There's so much goodness there. But there's something I think about that last episode to your point, people don't know what they're supposed to go out and do. And you give us a framework. You give us examples for what it is he's calling us to do. These are ways in which God may be calling you. And of course, there's more. And to your point, to you know, back to that vertical dimension, that horizontal dimension, you need to work on our intimacy with Jesus, build deep relationship with people and walk with them in deep discipleship. And also we're supposed to build then for the kingdom of God. We can't build the city of God, but we can build for the city of God. And we do that again by how we live our lives. And I think a check for all of us, I know it is in, in my life, is there something... Is there something unique about my life? Am I living in such a way, in such an attractive way, joyful way that someone might ask me, what is the source of your joy or what makes the way you live your life so different? Because I don't know that we look a whole lot different. I know my life doesn't look a whole lot different sometimes than the world. And so this is, again, why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I often think, too, just this is a simple thought, and I'm rattling on. So if you just want to cut me off, just kick me underneath the table, Father John, and I'll, and I'll shut up. But, you know, oftentimes, um, and I, I know Pope Francis has talked about this, you know, sometimes we can look so dour. It's easy to look dour right now when you look at the, when you look at the world around us and some of the challenges that we're facing in the church. But we have one of the most, we have one of the, uh, I, I, it's, our smiles, our face, our countenance, like that is the evangelization tool. That is the one thing that we can put on our faces every day is a smile. You know, sometimes we walk with our heads down hoping that people aren't going to engage us. But if we just look up and we put a smile on our face, we actually have this joyful countenance, countenance to us. I think that's our greatest evangelization tool. Yeah, so I, I love just summarizing all that we're, I'm hearing as you're, as you're talking. So need to make sure I'm plugged into the Holy Spirit every single day. Need to make sure that I'm going about my life best I can as an attractive witness to the gospel by how I live, even something as simple as you know greeting people and whatnot. And then very specifically asking the Lord, how is it that you want to use me today in my concrete state of life, in my work environment, in whatever it is that I do so as to, or maybe a better way to say it is, what places where I'm situated right now are you asking me to bend back into conformity with the Father's plan? So yes, I need to know the gospel and I need to preach it. Yes, I need to look differently and hopefully provoke people to ask me, why are you so joyful in the middle of a world that's just like drowning in despair. But then how are you asking me to recreate, transform, reconcile, and heal this world that I live in? And so maybe practically speaking, here, here's something that I might encourage people to do. If you, if you haven't watched The Rescue Project, or maybe you haven't watched it recently, just want to encourage you to just watch the final talk, which is episode nine, and I think it's entitled Getting Clarity on the Mission. Because that's where, and, and this is so transformative for us. Like it, I think the reason, one of the reasons that we love it so much is because it's been so revolutionary for how we think about the mission. And every time we preach it or teach it, whether it's to priests or to lay faithful, 
they just say things like this priest said, like, I have a completely new understanding of what it is I'm supposed to be doing right now. So please watch that. And maybe brothers, if you're priests that are listening, understand the task this Sunday as we preach Pentecost is to help the people in the pews get the mission. Like what is the task that is uniquely theirs and by whose power are we sent out so as to do it? So maybe I can... I can give that as an encouragement to the brothers. Maybe you can give an encouragement to the people in the pews. No, so um, absolutely. Um, Here's my thought, and I was sharing this when we were on mission uh, with with the presbyterate uh, last week. Those of us sitting in the pews can go places the clergy can't. Absolutely. God has planted us in unique unique places. We're we're teachers, we're nurses, uh, we're doctors. We're out in the world, so we can go places where y'all clearly can't go, and so that's just a great way to pray. Um, and, and and I would say even just for the lay faithful to take Father John's exhortation to heart, but I would also say to you know, Lord, show me what you have for me today in my sphere of influence, yeah. wherever you're placing me today. Show me where you want me to come in and be an agent of transformation, an agent of healing an agent of recreation. Maybe it's with the people that you're working with or, or that you homeschool with or your neighborhood or your professional life. And as you start to build some relationships with those people, maybe God's asking you to, just, to do something even bigger. We talk about prison, prison fellowship in episode nine, um, who transformed the prison system. Then maybe the Lord's inviting you to do something incredibly mighty. The other thing that I would just maybe suggest those of us sitting in the pews might do is each and every day, just make it a part of your prayer life. Every morning, get on our knees and ask God the Father for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your life today, upon your marriage, upon your work, upon you personally, so that you can have access to all of the graces, all of the gifts, all of the power that you're going to need to go out into your day-to-day life. Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Just be clear. Um, this is not to be uh, triumphalistic or optimistic or naive uh, going out into the world uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit and doing all that we can to bend back into conformity with the Father's original plan is bound to provoke some opposition and it might cause some suffering. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But don't be petrified by that either. Jesus is Lord. And we have nothing to fear because our lives are in his hands. Because all of that is true, people. Do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this.